Good morning. Hope you've had a great weekend so far. Glad you can start a new week with us here at Great Oaks. Have a lot of visitors with us like we always do. Thank you for being here. I hope we get a chance to meet you before you leave. If there's people around that you don't recognize, try to say hi before you leave. We always like our visitors to know who we're trying to be at Great Oaks. Uh, We put Church of Christ on the sign because we're trying to simply be followers of Jesus Christ. We're trying to be undenominational Christians, not trying to follow creeds or handbooks or people. Uh, We're just trying to follow the Lord by following Jesus Christ and His Word. And we'd love for you to join us in that. And so if you have any questions about Great Oaks, who we're trying to be, questions about Christianity, please let us know. We're really glad you're here today. A few things to share that we're excited about before we get going today. And I try to just do one person a week, but I'm breaking all the rules today because we have three. First of all, Audrina Farmer. Audrina, could you stand just a second? I didn't even warn you on this. Sorry about that. Uh, Audrina Farmer was baptized into Christ Friday night. I don't think we've gotten that out on uh, email yet because it's the weekend. But Audrina, as you can tell, the daughter of Eric and Jen... Um, confessed her faith in Jesus and was baptized to start her Christian life Friday night. Audrina, we're proud of you, and uh, we're going to be praying for you as you start your Christian life. And so as we took the Lord's Supper together today, uh, for the first time, Audrina joined us in that, and we're, we're happy for her uh, for a lot of reasons, proud of her. Also, a couple people that have met with our eldership recently to let them know they'd like to be part of the Great Oaks Church family. Michael Bush. Michael's sitting over here. Could you stand just a second? Let everybody see you. This is Michael if you haven't got to meet him yet. Uh, Michael grew up in Evansville, Indiana as a youth minister's kid. Some of us know his dad, Alan, longtime youth minister, and was baptized growing up there and just recently moved to our area. So Michael, you can have a seat. I'll say a few more things about you. Uh, Michael just graduated last year, May 2022, from Freed Harmon University with a communications public relations degree. And last summer in June, he started working with the Global Broadcasting Network uh, down at the sponsored by the South Haven Church of Christ. Some of y'all may watch that on TV and know about that. Uh, so Michael's helping them out. And for hobbies and interests, he enjoys playing disc golf. He likes University of Tennessee sports, and he likes digital design. And so we appreciate Michael making the drive uh, from down south to come be with us. If you haven't got to meet him yet, please meet him. And then one other introduction before we get going, Michael Jones. Michael, where are you sitting at here this morning? There you are. Okay, Michael Jones met with our eldership also, uh, I believe last week, to let them know he'd like to be part of the Great Oaks Church family. Glad to have Michael with us. Again, you can have a seat and I'll share some more things about you as well. If you haven't got to meet uh, this Michael, meet him also, so Michael Bush and Michael Jones. Uh, Michael grew up here in Memphis, went to Cordova High School, uh, graduated there in 2018, was part of Churches of Christ growing up, was baptized as he was growing up in Churches of Christ here in Memphis. Uh, Right now he's been working at a local warehouse and he's working toward a career in real estate and he's excited about. He enjoys fishing. I haven't got to talk to him about this yet. This is something the elders shared with me. He enjoys fishing, uh, even to the point of documenting the size and species of the fish he catches. So he, he enjoys it. Uh, he likes traveling. He likes video games. Uh, and I think you'll really enjoy getting to know Michael if you haven't got to meet him. Uh, Michael is also at one of those times where he's, he's recommitting his faith to God and knows a church family needs to be part of that and looking to connect with with God's people, so excited about his heart. Uh, meet, meet all of these if you haven't got to meet them yet. Um, some good things happening. The, the best times in, in the history of God's people are those times when people are taking steps of faith to draw closer to God, and so glad we can celebrate some of those together. One more thing to point out, just to remind you of, two weeks from today is Family Day. If you haven't invited yet, you still got time. you got two weeks to do it. Um, hopefully you can be with us. If you're visiting with us, we hope you can be here. This is one of our biggest days of the year. We hope visitors will be here. We'd love for you to be back. 
Uh, but if you have family and friends you'd like to bring along with you, do that. We'd love for them to be here as well. We're going to talk. We're going to actually continue our Ezra Nehemiah series. What we're going to do, and we're going to bring our family day visitors in on that with us, with a lesson titled "The Good Hand of God." And then after that, we'll go back for a potluck lunch, bring some food to share. We'll all eat together. If you were here for homecoming, you know that our, our guys set it up well. We have eight lines, and once that line starts moving, it moves quickly. So everyone will get through line in plenty of time to eat, and then we'll come back um, at it for a 12.30 afternoon worship service that day. Um, no 5 p.m. worship that night. So if you can be with us two weeks from today, we'd love to have you for our family day. Let's start with a prayer, and then we will jump into our lesson. God, we're thankful for all the good things you do in our life. We're thankful that you're our God and our creator and our father and our rock and our strength. And God, we're thankful we can worship you today together. We're thankful this morning for Audrina, for her decision to follow you, for the study she's done, uh, for her heart, for her life. I pray, God, that you would guide her and all the, the paths yet to be taken in her life, that she'll give her the right experiences, the right successes, the right failures, uh, to help keep her faithful to you. And God, please help us always to be there to encourage her as she goes. God, we're thankful for Michael Bush. We're thankful that he's moved into our area. We're thankful for the work he's doing with the Global Broadcast, the Gospel Broadcasting Network. We're thankful for all, what they do. Um, God, I pray you bless him and everything he's got going on. We're thankful he's here. We, we pray, God, we can encourage each other's faith for many years. Also thankful for Michael Jones this morning. Thankful for his heart. Thankful for the way you've been guiding his life. We're thankful for his desire to draw closer to you, closer to your people. God, I pray we can be the right encouragers for him, and I know he will be for us also. We're thankful for church family, Lord. Help us always to be there for one another. As we open your word together this morning, God, I pray that what is said will be what you want to be said, and that we'll grow from it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our theme for this year, Let Us Arise and Build, comes from the book of Nehemiah. Our young people are studying through Ezra and Nehemiah and their Lads to the Leaders program, and we're studying along with them. We're, we're trying to learn some things about Ezra and Nehemiah as well. But, but for the theme, we're challenging ourselves this year to, to take another step of faith, whatever that is, another step of commitment, to rise up and, and build our faith, uh, build up our relationships with each other after the crazy few years we've had to build up God's church as our mission always is. And so we're challenging ourselves as they said in the book of Nehemiah to rise up and build. And so we started last week this series walking through Ezra and Nehemiah. We're calling it Rebuilding in Ezra and Nehemiah. It's a fascinating time to me in the history of God's people and one that we don't always know a whole lot about. So we're doing some Bible learning together, some Bible reading together, and then applying those things to our lives. And so this Today's lesson is called, Why Did We Stop? Before we jump into this morning's, let me remind you a little bit of what we saw last week. If you're putting the Bible timeline together in your head, uh, this is where we're at. So the Babylonian exile is the time we're in. If you weren't with us last week, here's what's going on. God's people, they've been in the promised land for about 800 years, but they've slowly gotten more and more sinful and more and more like the people of the lands around them, worshiping idols, to the point that God has said, just like he, he said he would. If you leave me, I'm going to remove my protection and these other nations are going to come in and they're going to conquer you. 
And that's what's happened. You have several waves of exiles. In 605 B.C., the first wave, Babylon carrying off the Jews to Babylon so they couldn't live in their land anymore. If you remember, Daniel was part of that first wave. The second wave in 597 B.C., the second wave of exiles taken off. Ezekiel, the prophet, was part of that group that was taken off. And then in 586 B.C. is, is one of the big years in biblical history, one of the sad years, because Jerusalem's destroyed. Babylon comes in and says, we're tired of this. We're tired of you not doing what we want you to do. We're going to burn your city. We're going to burn your temple. We're going to knock down your walls. You're not going to be able to recover from this. And that was their intention. And they took whatever, else, whatever people that they felt like might be a threat off to Babylon, just left the poorer people of the land there. And it felt like the end to a lot of people. It felt like the end. But God's people, if they were paying attention, had hope because at least the prophet Jeremiah had said, 70 years and you'll come back home. And 70 years from that first wave of exiles is when Persia conquers Babylon and they came to Cyrus. Do you remember that? Cyrus is the first king of Persia. And they come to, these are just some things we looked at last week. They come to Cyrus and they said, Cyrus, you're now the king. We had a prophet named Isaiah who said years ago, Cyrus will let my people go back home. And that's what Isaiah had said in Isaiah chapters 44 and 45. Amazing to see the plan of God come together. And so Cyrus lets that first wave come back to Jerusalem. So just like there were waves taken off into Babylon, the first wave, about 70 years after the first wave was taken, going back, there were 50,000 of them. If you remember, the leaders were Sheshbazzar. We're trying to learn alongside our Bible Bowl students. Zerubbabel was one of the leaders, if I can say it. And, and Jeshua, sometimes called Joshua, but Jeshua was the high priest. They go back last week, they built the altar, they resumed the worship to God, and, and where we left off last week, they laid the foundation of the temple. And if you remember that great scene in Ezra chapter 3, they've laid the temple, they begin celebrating, and there were some people, some of the older men, it says, who had seen the first temple. And you remember they started crying when they saw the new foundation being laid. For whatever reason, the emotions of the moment brought out tears, and there was crying, and there was cheering, all mixed together there in Ezra chapter 3. The foundation of the temple was laid, and we're now rebuilding back in Jerusalem, something some people thought would never happen. Today, as you might have noticed uh, from the title, somewhere along the way, the work stopped. Great start. I mean, everything's great. We celebrate. We're, we're starting to build. It didn't continue like it should have. So let's look at that. First of all, the first thing that happens... There were some enemies. Some enemies of God's people decided they were going to try to stop this work on the temple. They did not want to see God's people rebuilding this temple of God. And so, and you might remember, the, the Jewish people were surrounded by enemies. Um, they, they were surrounded by nations who did not want them to succeed. So look at Ezra chapter 4, starting verse 1. It says, Now when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the people of the exile were building a temple to the God of Israel. Now notice, we've already noticed in this verse, these are enemies of God's people. So, so we start off knowing this is where they come from. They don't, they don't want this to happen. But when they notice they're building the temple, they come to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the father's households and said to them, Let us build with you, for we, like you, seek your God. And we have been sacrificing to him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us up here. 
So they come up and they ask what seems like a pretty innocent question. Can we join you in in building this temple? But we know from verse 1, the motives must have been a little different because we know that they were enemies. And perhaps what their goal was was to come alongside and to, to mess things up, to keep this from happening. Whatever it was, Zerubbabel and Jeshua, remember Zerubbabel's the governor, Jeshua is the priest, and the rest of the heads of the father's households of Israel said to them, You have nothing in common with us in building a house to our God, but we ourselves will together build to the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. They knew this was a time when they needed to stay separate. That's not always easy to know when to stay separate, how how far to distance ourselves from people going different directions. Those are tough questions sometimes. But here, I'd like to hope with the help of God, they knew this is the time we need to stay on our own and do this by ourselves. This is not something to involve the idol-worshiping peoples around us in doing this. But they didn't like that. The other people didn't like it. And so verse 4, Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their counsel all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So these guys, when they're told that they can't be part of it, that that plan A didn't work to stop it. So plan B, we're going to intimidate you out of building. It says they frightened them, and they hired people... I guess to, to talk to the governors around the area, to the, maybe King Cyrus himself, to say, you've got to stop these people from building the temple. Do not let them build the temple. If you're open there to Ezra 4, there's in this long um, excursus, if you want to call it that, or this little tangent where he tells about a future time where they had asked the king to have them stop work on Jerusalem as well. Uh, but this is what happened from all the, the things they did. The work stopped for 16 years. That's really sad to think about, isn't it? I mean, this is why we came back. <laughs> this is why we're going back to Jerusalem. God, let, He paved the way. Isaiah said Cyrus would let us go home and build the temple. Jeremiah said 70 years. And now we're doing it. And we laid the foundation. And then things got hard and we stopped. I, we don't know, I don't know the details of what exactly they did to frighten them out of building or exactly what they did to get the counselors who were hired to get them to stop. But God's people somewhere must have had a meeting or something and said, we just need to stop building. It's just too dangerous. People don't want us to do it. You would have liked to have hoped that that would have been a moment where faith would have risen up, where somebody would have said, even though they don't want us to do this, this is what God wants. And so we're going to do it regardless no matter what the people around us are saying or doing. We're going to build this anyway. But I guess that didn't happen. And 16 years, think about that, that's a long time. If, if, if there's 16-year-olds here in, 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 our, in our assembly, you can think about, they would have, if there were 16-year-olds at that time, never seen a day in their life where people were actually working on that temple. It's just been sitting down there with a foundation, maybe a few boards around it. Just stopped. What, what's happened? And that's what Ezra 4.24 says. The work on the house of God in Jerusalem ceased, and it was stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. By the way, um, I've always said Darius. I understand that it's supposed to be pronounced Darius. Darius, you might recognize, he's the king who, um, who loved Daniel in the book of Daniel. 
He's the one who wanted to make Daniel head over everything, and he got thrown in the lion's den because those other men didn't want Daniel to have the power he was about to be given. And so Darius pops up in the book of Daniel as well. He comes here in Ezra also. So until the second year of the reign of Persia. And then finally, after those 16 years, finally, the work resumes. And here's how it happened. There were two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. I really wanted to leave blanks on Haggai and Zechariah so you could try to spell those correctly. But I didn't do that. You look back and forth and make sure you spell it. I decided to make the easier words here. But there's two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. We have books in our Bible. If you ever had to memorize the books of the Old Testament, you recognize the names of the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. They begin prophesying because God wants them to. And what they're saying is, guys, it's time to start building again. We've let that foundation sit there too long. We've let that temple sit there with no progress for too long. It's, it's time to stop being scared, and it's time to start doing what we're supposed to be doing. And you see that in Ezra 5 verse 1. It says, When the prophets, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. And we'll see in just a second what verse 2 says. But Haggai and Zechariah began prophesying. If you're keeping the outline, I wanted to let you write down two sections from the book, one from the book of Haggai, one from the book of Zechariah, which tell us about this. So write down, if you're keeping the outline with us, Haggai 1, 1 through 14. We won't read this whole section. Haggai is only two chapters. You can go home and read it this afternoon, and you'll see a lot of what we're talking about here in Ezra. But look at what, look at what he says. Haggai 1, how it begins. In the second year of Darius the king, the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, to guess who? There's our people. To Zerubbabel, the governor, he's the son of Shealtiel, it tells there, governor of Judah. To Joshua, here he calls him Joshua and not Jeshua, but the same person, the high priest. So Haggai begins preaching, and notice what he says. This is a challenging passage to me. This is, this is something I hope sticks with us from this morning. Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, the time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. So everybody's just saying it's not time yet. It's not time. I don't know what their excuses were. Let's wait for new leadership. Let's wait for things to get easier. Let's wait for the people of land to be nicer. I don't, I don't know what their excuses were. But he says everybody's saying it's just not time yet. And then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Do you hear what he's saying there? It, it sure seems like time for you to... Make yourself a pretty nice life. Sure seems like you found time to build your own houses and make them pretty nice. And so do you think it's time for you to have your nice paneled houses while God's temple just sits there? That's a challenging statement, isn't it? Can you imagine Haggai speaking to the people and, and people feeling that conviction of, you know, he's right. How do you argue with that? We keep making excuses not to build the temple and we've sure built a lot of other stuff around here. Haggai says, guys, it's time to get going again. And so verse 12, Then Zerubbabel and Joshua the priest, with all the remnant of the people, to their credit, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you every time... Don't ever forget this. Every time we step forward in faith to do what God has asked us to do, I think we'll find that to be true. God is with us. 
when God's people step forward, here's what God wants me to do, I'm going to do it. God is with us. And He promises them here, I am with you. So the Lord, you remember this phrase from the book of Ezra last week? So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit, a little further down, of Joshua and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Once again, God uses His word to stir them up, to stir up their heart. God can do that. God can work in our lives. And He stirs up the Spirit and they begin working again. Write also down, if you're keeping the outline, Zechariah chapter 4. I guess you got to write these names after all, didn't you? Zechariah chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Another section where you find out Zechariah is preaching just what Ezra said he was preaching. This is Zechariah. He says, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. There's our person again, the the governor of, of Jerusalem. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That's a great verse. If you're an underlined, memorized, circle in your Bible, verses type of person, that's a good one to underline. Because what he's saying there is, Zerubbabel, it's not going to be done by your power. It's not going to be done by your strength. It's going to be my strength. Um, If you're ever tempted to think you're not strong enough to do what you know you should do, if you're ever tempted to think, I just don't know if I can keep going. I know I should. I just don't know if I can. We need verses like that that remind us. It's not just our strength. God is with us. God gives us His strength. So he says, Zechariah says, you tell the governor that God is going to give him the strength to make this happen. And then down in verse 8, also the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So just like we started 16 years ago, we're going to finish this. And Zerubbabel, you're going to be okay. Nobody's going to hurt you. You're not going to be taken out of leadership. Your hands are going to finish that temple. Get going again, God says, and I'll be alongside you. And so the people do. They start working again. And then four years later, that temple is completed. So it took four more years. There was still work to be done. But four years later, they finished the temple. And by the way, that was in uh, 516 B.C., exactly 70 years from when that first temple had been destroyed, just like Jeremiah had prophesied, that 70 years and you'll come back home. So four years later, they finished the temple, as Ezra 5 verse 2 says. And again, a lot of names here, but, but notice what's happening. Then Zerubbabel and Jeshua, I'll skip their fathers, arose and began to rebuild. There's our theme. Arose and began to rebuild the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. So we're building again. Now, by the way, it wasn't easy. Because guess what? Once again, when they started rebuilding, guess who decided they wanted to try to mess things up again? The people around them show up again. As it goes on in verse 3, Tatnai, who's the governor of the whole area, uh, bigger than Zerubbabel, he comes in and says, what are you guys doing? I, I don't recall being told that you had permission to build this temple. And so he comes and asks them, who issued you a decree? to rebuild this temple and to finish this structure. And so it says, then we told them. We told them the whole story. And so they tell Tatnai, Cyrus let us come back. And, and the people were against us, so we just hadn't done it. You notice verse 5. Another one of these great phrases from Ezra and Nehemiah. The eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews. And they did not stop them until a report could come to Darius and then a written reply be returned concerning it. It says God's eye was on us, so He didn't stop the work. 
He just said, let me check on it. Let me check. So he sends a letter to Darius. If you keep on reading, uh, I won't read all this, but Darius says we need to search in the archives to see if what they're saying is true. And sure enough, they find in the archives, I would like to see in the Persian archives, wouldn't you? The, the Persian archives, they search around and they find a scroll which has Cyrus's decree on it. And so he sends back and says, you let those Jews rebuild their temple. In fact, you help them. You, you give them what they need. You give them timber. You give them supplies. You give them help. And he says, by the way, if anybody doesn't help them, we're going to tear a board off their house. We're going to impale them on it. And we're going to have their house become a trash heap. They, they got pretty serious in the Persian Empire sometimes if you weren't going to do what they wanted you to do. And so the Persian Empire is now fully behind. We're going to rebuild that temple. And you're going to help them rebuild the temple. And so that's what they do. And so that's what happens as you get to Ezra 6, 14 and 15. The elders of the Jews were successful in building through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. And they finished building according to the command of the God of Israel. We're finally doing what God said to do. And the decree of Cyrus Darius. And later on in the book we'll see also Artaxerxes, king of Persia, would help the rebuilding of Jerusalem also. And so... The temple finally, we started 20 years ago, but finally that temple is rebuilt after a long period of waiting. The temple was completed again, as I said, 516, 70 years after the sixth year of King Darius's reign. I'd like us to end this morning with three things I, I noticed. That's one thing I like to do with these, some of these narrative sections of Scripture. Just walk through, remind ourselves what God did, hopefully learn a few things, remind a few things. And then just take away a few, what can we learn types of, types of lessons. And you might have some others that I haven't thought of. Feel free to share them with me afterwards. But I've got three things this morning. Number one, I want us to notice there will always be enemies of doing what is right. When the Jews start building the temple, those enemies of God's people, chapter 4 said, they started coming around, hey, who said you could do this? And they, and, well, actually, sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting the other one mixed up. Aren't I? First they came and said, let us help you because they wouldn't mess it up. Then they said, we're going we're gonna to scare you out of, out of building. We're going to get counselors hired to keep you from building. And then that second group, and they start finally rebuilding 16 years later, then that second group came and said, who said you could do this? The enemies pop up again. Every time you, they try to do the right thing, these enemies appear and start trying to intimidate them out of doing the right thing. I think you'll often find that to be true in your life as well. That whenever you try to do the right thing, there is something about our, our sinful, selfish nature that makes people want to hold back those who are trying to do the right thing in life. I don't know if it makes us feel better if we can hold other people back from doing the right thing. Like, you're not going to be better than me, so I'm going to criticize you for doing the right thing. I don't know what it is about, about sin in our life that makes us want to pull people back when they're trying to do right but when you try to do right, you're going to find there's enemies. And you're going to find there's people who are going to try to discourage you. Wasn't that the first word used in Ezra 4? They discourage the people from building. You're going to find there are people who discourage it. Maybe even people close to you that, that you didn't think would be discouragers. You'll find there will be people who will criticize you. You'll, you'll find that, that there will always be voices saying, you're not doing the right thing, you need to stop. Jesus told us we should expect that. In John 15, verse 20, Jesus and he says several things like this in this section. He says, Remember the word that I said to you, A slave is not greater than his master, 
If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Jesus says the same division of people that Jesus saw is the same one we're going to see. Jesus had people, and I don't know how, isn't that sad? Jesus himself showed up on this earth and preached to people and talked to people, and some people criticized him for it. This is God Himself in the flesh, never sinned ever, only doing good. And yet people not only criticized Him, but killed Him for what He was doing. The the Jewish leaders, who you would have thought would be the encouragers, the Jewish leaders are jealous of Jesus and they want to get Him put on a cross and that's exactly what they do. Wanted Him dead. Uh, And Jesus says, if people do that to me, you're going to find people doing the same to you. Now fortunately, I like the second part of that verse where Jesus says, now there are always some who are supporting the Word of God. And when they see you doing the right thing, they're going to encourage it. And they're going to want to do it too. There's always going to be that division of people. What I hope for you and I is that we will have the conviction, the personal conviction, that even if I'm being criticized for following God, I'm still going to stand with God. And even if everyone else around me is trying to say, you don't do that, I don't like that, if it's what God wants me to do, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to stand with God. I'm not telling you that's easy, but I'm telling you that's what God wants us to do. And I think we'll find when we do, God will be with us. And it will be His strength that holds us up as we try to do the right thing. There will always be enemies of doing what is right. We've got to find the way with God's help to get past that. Number two, sometimes we have great starts. <laughs> we're, we're really good. Maybe I should speak for myself. I'm, I can be really good at starting something. I can be really good at having a, a new plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build something new. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get better at this. I'm going to get better at that. And I, and I start those first few steps. Not easy to keep going. Here, here the Jews that had a great start. We're building the temple of God. But we, we've laid the foundation. There's, there's celebration going on. And yet they just stop. They just stop. A, a start's not everything, is it? A start's essential. You've got to start somewhere. You've got to get going. But a start by itself doesn't prove anything. It, the one who's, who's winning the race after the first few steps doesn't mean he's the winner of the whole race. The one who scores first in the football game doesn't mean they're necessarily the one who's going to w- win the game. We've, we've seen sports and life enough to know that, that starts don't mean everything. Start is just that. It's, it's a beginning. Sometimes we start serving God, but then we let ourselves live with excuses. Sadly, that's what had happened in Ezra. They started building, got discouraging, everybody stopped. Remember what Haggai said in Haggai 1? These people keep saying, it's just not time. Just not time to build the house of the Lord. I don't know what they're waiting for. What do you think is the right time? Time when it's easy? Time when there's no enemies? Time when no one's against you? Sometimes we're tempted to want that. I'm just going to wait till it's easier. Wait till life gets slower. My impression is that doesn't happen. If we keep saying, life life will slow down, and then I'll I'll get God where He needs to be, don't make that mistake. I think you'll never do it. We've got to find a way to maybe clear some other things out to make sure God's where He needs to be. We can get real good at excuses. Is there something in your life that that you used to be better at spiritually than you are today? Is there something that that you had started building? It was part of you. It's just not part of you anymore. Life has gone on for whatever reason. Did you used to be a person maybe of of deeper prayer? You had had put that in your life and your schedule, and you were going to keep it there, but but time has gone on, life has gone on, and 
And even though you might think yourself as a person of prayer because, hey, I fixed that years ago, maybe you're not, maybe you're not praying as much as you used to. Did you used to be a person who said, I want my life to be with God's people. I want to worship every time they get together with them. I want to be in the Bible classes. And that was you. That was part of you. But maybe life has gotten busy and different and just not part of you anymore. Or maybe, maybe you, you had something in your life that you had that you'd work, worked with the help of God to get better at. Maybe self-control. And, and you, were, you were good at handling your anger because that had been a struggle in the past and you worked through that and gotten better at that. But maybe as life has drifted on, you know, I'm just... I'm not as good at that as I used to be. I find myself getting angrier and not as self-controlled. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to start rebuilding some of those things. It's, it's good to have starts, but sometimes we just let ourselves live with excuses. Let's not do that. Jesus told a parable, Mark 4, about the parable of the sower. You remember the four different types of soil? Uh, he said the rocky soil, if you remember, they immediately receive the word. They jump up and they have a great start. But then verse 17, they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. May we never be like the rocky soil that starts, but then begins falling back. And if you found yourself falling back, again, that's our theme for the whole year. Let's rise up and build. With the help of God, together, let's do better at the things we haven't been doing as well at. And then number three... Question worth asking from the book of Haggai. Am I building my life for myself? Do you remember Haggai's question? I tried to emphasize it. Is it time for you to live in your paneled houses while God's house lies desolate? Sometimes we build our lives just for ourselves or too much for ourselves. We can be selfish. We can be self-absorbed. We can always want the next thing. We can always want to beat someone else around us. They have that. I'd like to have that too. Uh, sometimes we're always building for ourselves and we never find the strength to really build my life for God. Because that's what our life should be, right? Our life should be built for God. He made us. He knows what we need. He knows what's important. He's tried to lay it out for us in His Word. Sometimes we need to reevaluate things and, and recognize, I've just been into and doing too much for me and not enough for God. Remember Galatians 2.20? Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Do you see the the life change in Paul? It's not me living anymore. It's Christ living in me. And that's that's the Christian transformation. It becomes less about our selfishness and our, ourselves. It becomes more about God through the help of God. As John the Baptist put it, when Jesus' ministry was beginning, He must increase, but I must decrease. Perhaps this morning we need, like the Jews, like John the Baptist, like Paul, to be able to say, uh, less of me and more of Christ. Maybe that needs to be our commitment this morning. Maybe it's time in your life to, to overcome the challenges. I have no doubt you have challenges. We all, we all do. I have no doubt Satan is working in your life just like God's working in your life. I have no doubt Satan is trying to put temptations and discouragement and criticisms. I'm sure you're busy like everyone else is. I'm sure you've had failures like everyone else has. I'm sure you've taken some steps back in some areas like everyone else has. But maybe it's time to start overcoming those things and start building again. That's the challenge of our year. 
And I think that's the challenge of Ezra chapters 4 through 6. The good news is God is always ready. God is always inviting His people, always inviting His creation to come back to Him. Maybe you'd like to do that today. If you need to talk with us about anything in your spiritual life, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. We're about to sing a song of invitation. And this song is an opportunity for anybody who would like to take a public step of faith to publicly maybe become a Christian. Our, our visitors sometimes ask us, how do, you, how do you become a Christian? Our young people sometimes ask us, how do you become a Christian? I think this is what you'll find Scripture to say. There's this learning process of hearing about Jesus. Um, faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17 says, and hearing by the Word of Christ. You learn about Jesus. If you haven't taken that step, start reading, start learning. We'd love to sit down with you and, and start a Bible study to talk about Christianity and what it entails, and what you're committing to. We'd love to talk with you if you'd like to do that. And as you learn about Jesus, you come to a place of faith, believing. When you believe, you have a choice. Am I going to give my life to God or not? It's called repentance when you make that commitment. And then you can do what they did in the Bible. Confess, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism. If you're ready for that this morning, we'd love to see you do it. If you'd like like prayers of recommitment, prayers for strength, we'd love to help you with that as well. If you need to respond publicly, you're invited to come to the front now while we stand and while we sing.